Hello and hi. Welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and with me today is director Andrew Cumming, whose new debut feature, I'm going to put it up as psychological horror, called Out of Darkness, Out in Theaters, on February 9th, is... Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say bold and beautiful. <laughs> the uh, the the landscape is what caught my attention first. So Andrew, where this was filmed? All of this was filmed in Scotland. That's right. Yeah. Wow the the locations stunned me because there was a weight and an age to everything the the plateaus the forest the caves it added for me a sense that that environment itself was sleeping but sentient and had absolutely no care in the world if the people running around on it lived or died. And I think that added to the sense of tension and paranoia that builds up later. Where, what inspired you to film this there? Um, everything you just said basically is what I used to say when I was pitching this to people. Um, and I, being Scottish and knowing that region reasonably well from either visiting on holidays or working in it. Um, I used to shoot sort of charity videos and corporate videos in that region um, for various companies. I just knew that it provided everything we were looking for to tell a story set in this time period. And like you say, the the, the brutality, the, the, the ancient mythic qualities that the, the landscape has, um, and and that again, yes, that um, it's complete indifference towards us. We're just you know amoeba scratching around on the shoulder of this thing, and it can it can just dust us off at any point. All of that felt um, like it would add texture and weight um, and danger uh, to to the to the film. Um, and you know, a, a trained monkey with a camera could get good shots in Scotland in that region. It's not difficult. But once you once you take these fantastic actors and put them in these beautifully detailed costumes and then place them in those landscapes, there's a I don't know for me there was an energy coming from the monitor that I'd always imagined in my head. So it was nice to see it like made flesh. I I enjoyed it because the only other movie I had ever seen where the landscape gave me a sense of foreboding was during the werewolf attack on the Moors in the movie American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminded me of that, only you did it for an entire movie. <laughs> so Yeah, they, they were smart. They, they got to London as soon as, as, soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, that was clever. <laughs> uh, the other thing that stands out is the language. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the people who we meet, and this, you know, takes p- place... 45,000 years ago, so technically prehistory. And the language was created by a linguist, Dr. Daniel Anderson. How did that come about as being a, a 
puzzle piece for this movie because it works really well. Thank you. Yeah, um, I like. Yeah, I, I originally wanted to do it in English because I was worried about accessibility. You know, and, and just I was worried about the stigma of films with subtitles and how well they perform. Because not because I wanted to make oodles of money, but just because I wanted people to see the movie. Um, you know, you get one chance to make a debut. Uh, and then, but over the course of developing the project, it became I became aware that I didn't want any half measures. And if you're going to commit to making a film in this time period, you have to go all in. So um, Oliver Kasman, the film's producer, he knew Daniel, um, and we set him the challenge of taking some uh, Sanskrit, some Arabic, some Basque um, from the, the the region in Spain. And, um, and and trying to find a root language that could of could conceivably have given birth to these to these three um, known languages. Um, yeah, so he disappeared with the script for three or four weeks. More, yeah, more like four weeks. And just as we were rolling up towards prep, he um, he delivered the draft and the dual dialogue function in final draft. We had the Tola down one side and English down the other side. And um, yeah, I, I sat at this desk and I started reading and reading out loud and hearing myself and getting used to the, you know, the, the, the pronunciation and certain inflections. Um, I thought this is going to work. This feels textured. It feels real. It feels lived in. Um, yeah. I, I really, I, I, I really commend them for it because it really helps sell the film. I'm, I'm amazed that you said it only took about a month. That's, that's incredible yeah. to me. I know he's he's a very intelligent man, Daniel. Scarily intelligent, um, and yeah, he's. Um, I I don't know exactly what his process was, um, but again, I, I'm not a linguist, so I'm sure, I'm sure there's some. You once you create some pattern or backbone, it maybe becomes easy. But um, you know, there's a few Easter eggs in there because at one point they um, they mention in English the word light um, in Tola is film, which is just film. And you think he was playing with that, that the fact that film is essentially just light um, hitting hitting a screen and then obviously that light hitting a retina. So there's little Easter eggs like that hidden away within the within the translation. But yeah, for the most part, I don't know exactly what his process was, but I yeah, I didn't want to because I just wanted to admire it as a as a director and 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 yeah, just get into it with the actors on a purely creative level. But yeah, it definitely made the difference. How did uh, the actors uh, pick up on the language and get used to, I guess, simmering in it as part of their environment? I think, um, yeah, I mean, I th they all once we cast them, so we, so we sort of drip, drip fed the language throughout the, the audition process. And then when we cast them, they all did one-to-one -one sessions with Daniel where he just gave them all a, a, a sort of tutorial in Tola and made sure they all had the same um, rhythm, the same pronunciation of certain keywords and, and phrases. And then, you know, we, we shot mostly in chronological order. Um, so I think that helped the cast just get into it day by day by day. You could see their confidence growing. And, um, and I think because they were all committing to it, that gave, I think that gave them all comfort just to, to go with it. And on set, um, Kit Young, who plays Gare, he he really 
he became a sort of a, an on-set tutor for everyone. Daniel Anderson didn't join us on set, but I, I'd sometimes hear some of the cast saying, how would you pronounce this? And so I think he, he got it really quickly um, and was able to sort of be the, the conduit on set for making sure that, um, making sure the Tola was on point. Yeah, because it, it looked very natural on screen, like they had no problems, like this was their language. And that that helped sell the the believability when they when they dive into the fear and paranoia that there's something in these woods hunting us what is going on and you see the you know moments of panic moments of 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 just outright blame and paranoia going on the effects you chose for I'm going to say the creature and the the blood and the mayhem was all of that practical? Yes, yes, most of it. We um I think in the forest the the sort of blood pit area as we called it, we added more to that because you can only ask your crew to carry so many bones <laughs> into a forest um, before, you know, there's a health and safety issue. So um we added more in post and added more blood because it was raining, so the blood kept washing off the rocks, which is really annoying. Um, so yeah, we, we we touched it up a little bit in post, but for the most part, everything was in camera because it had to be. We didn't have the money to um, to do it the other way. Was the were the same people involved in designing these? Uh, I'm going to say deceased. <laughs> persons also involved in designing the costumes because some of that looked as if they were going in the same direction. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but they had uh, a meshed feel to them. Uh, do, do you mean, do you mean the Homo sapiens and the others, yes. The others, yeah. There, there were, there were. We definitely drew differences between them. I think um, Michael O'Connor, the, the the costume designer, we looked at um, a photojournalist called Richard Harrington. Spent time with the Inuit, maybe half a century ago, maybe slightly less than that. Um, and and there's this great photojournal book called um, uh, Life as an Inuit. Um, so. And the, what the Inuits do is if they kill an animal, they make sure they use every part of it to, for every part of their sustenance and their clothing. And so he took a lot of inspiration from that for the Homo sapiens. And then for the for the others, um, I think, looked more at tribe people from a different region. So it was much more. Yeah, the, the textures were different. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's dark. You don't exactly see it all. But it's not like we dwell on getting beautiful wide shots of it. But um, there's definitely definitely tactile differences to how both sets dress um just to sort of try and give a contrast just because of their different histories um completely different cultures that had different uh, methods of of um making clothing or jewelry or hairstyling etc etc so it was just to make these subtle differences while still showing that there was culture creativity sophistication um, on both sides. Yeah, I was trying to trying to figure out how 
those other people mm -hmm. th that we meet were going to come across and interact once we figured out what was really going on and the the lack of communication and the enhanced fear just it it was almost like a a physical barrier that you could see and the way that that added to the reactions was uh impressive thank you yeah that was um that that was really the that was the reason i wanted to make the film um you know making a quote unquote monster movie is all well and good but i really wanted to make a monster movie to get to that point that was the whole reason for going on this crazy escapade in the first place is because that was the thing i wanted to say um because the whole film really is about um the thesis the central thesis of the film is humans survive because of their inhumanity is you know true or false um and whatever side of the line you fall down on with that you can't deny that there's a pattern of behavior that stretches back millennia of us fearing things we don't understand demonizing them and then destroying them um and that in turn makes us stronger so that was the point i wanted to get to um to to hopefully you know say what we needed to say um because when we made the film brexit was happening in the uk um that, that trump and this the trumpian politics were on the rise in america lots of other populist nationalist figures in other countries too it just felt like there was a lot of division, um, a lot of them versus us. Um, so I'm glad that resonates because that was the whole point of the film, really, for us. Well, I, I think you succeeded. It's a it's a beautiful film. It's uh, it's something that makes you think a little bit after you've seen it. And um, I I hope we get to see something new from you very soon me uh, too <laughs> <laughs> and you know just for the record i am a huge fan of monster movies so if you want to do another one i'm i'm on board cool yeah I, if yeah if somebody gives me one that excites me as much as this did then yeah I'm, I'll, I'll be on board too um but yeah it's um yeah we'll see we'll see <laughs> well andrew thank you for your time today Thank you, Summer. It was a pleasure. Thank you. It's uh, Andrew Cumming, director of the new movie Out of Darkness from Bleecker Street, out in theaters February 9th. Go check it out. I do highly recommend it. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Pseudopod, the free horror fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists. It makes my bones chatter against each other and you sit up in bed. I scream as I remain a statue and then the fury in me becomes a raging hot thing in my chest. Each week, one story told well. There, writhing in lurid agony upon the floor was a short creature, perhaps two feet tall. It was covered with red, wire-like hair on every inch of its exposed flesh. From the most chilling and unsettling storytellers of the genre. The wind's up now. 
and the sackcloth is blowing in black tatters round it, making it writhe like the worms. Only that ain't all sackcloth. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on the web at pseudopod.org, and on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, this is Barbara Crampton, and you're listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. Ooh, scary. Again, the movie is Out of Darkness from Bleecker Street Films in theaters, February 9th. I, I think I'd like to see this one on the big screen. Um, the lush and just uninviting landscape that this was filmed in it 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 looks like it would it would just be wonderful to to see on a on a theatrical sized screen the the landscape like I said like I said in the in the interview the landscape itself the the land the the swamps the 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 plateaus the forest all of it is emotionally oppressive and it looks like it takes a toll on these people who are just trying to survive, trying to find a new place to live, to make a home for themselves. And that sense of unease, that the desolate nature of that landscape creates in them, fuels the paranoia, fuels the mistakes that get made, the, the, the errors in judgment. And it, I guess it just goes to show it doesn't, it's, it's something that humanity does. We, we get emotional. We, we get flipped into fight or flight survival mode and we become as brutal as mother nature has designed I guess that's the the best way to put it and I don't know I kind of I guess it kind of kind of highlights the point where isolation makes humans go crazy and but you know they have no choice in this instance because they're trying to find a new place to live we we don't get an explanation of what happened to where they came from whether it was a societal collapse whether it was a war uh a a disease that wiped out everybody just you you get the sense from them that they're running both away from something untenable for survival towards someplace else. And, uh, yeah, monsters happen. And it's fun because after a while you don't notice the language. The language doesn't pull you out of 
the story being told. It kind of helps drag you in. It immerses you in their world. And I think that that helps to heighten some of the paranoia. It's, it's not as scary as some people might like, but the thriller aspect, the what's going to happen next, who's going to survive, will this person survive, that element I did truly enjoy. I'm curious to see how this movie does come awards season when it's eligible in North America because it was nominated for five British Independent Film Awards. So I'm kind of happy to see that with this movie because it shows You can make good movies that don't fit into the cookie cutter that Hollywood has gotten complacent with. Don't get me started. (laughs) So, how about you? Would you like to see more movies like this? Not necessarily period pieces, just, just independent films, be it science fiction, horror, thriller, mystery, that that take a chance with the the storytelling format uh, or the environment, the setting. Let me know. Call in. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can also come by the website, sliceofsci-fi.com, and leave a comment in the discussion section for this episode, or hit me up on Twitter, at sliceofsci-fi, or, yes, we're on Blue Sky now, at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcast. And if you're listening on Apple or following on Podchaser, leave us a rating or a review. Let folks know you are enjoying the show. And uh, maybe they should check it out for themselves. Word of mouth really, really helps uh, getting new ears to the show. I'd like to thank everyone who's supporting Slice of Sci-Fi and all of the other podcasts and websites in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe. Your pledges through Patreon, your donations through PayPal, honestly, truly do help keep things online around here. So for that, I am truly grateful. Your support means a lot because it means you're enjoying the content I'm producing and that, that gives me a reason to look for new things to talk about. And yes, I have some of those planned. <laughs> if you're interested in adding your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi, where you can pick a tier, any tier, and become eligible for perks. Every month, I pick 
an email address out of the proverbial digital hat. And that person gets to choose from a book, a DVD, a Blu-ray, a 4K, just an item from the many review materials I am provided because I can't keep it all. So I would rather those be given away to supporters of the show. And it's some pretty cool stuff. I have to uh, go through my list again, update it, but there's a lot of DC animated films that really could use new homes. So let me know if uh, talking about those is of interest to you. We'll get some some of those creatives on here too. But uh, we have a lot of 4K, actually. Warner Brothers has gone all in with the DC animated features. They're all in 4K now. But if you're interested in supporting without having to commit to a monthly pledge through Patreon, the link you can use is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer. You can also help support things by shopping at sliceofsci-fi.net. That is a curated shop. It's uh, definitely an affiliate shop. All things purchased through there uh, are affiliate links that will kick back a few pennies our way if you if you purchase through there. So uh, thank you for your support in shopping there. I'm currently going through looking for some more TV show box sets to add. Some of the shows I had in mind have either gone out of print or are expensive, so I'm a little annoyed at that. But uh, physical media rules, especially given the recent news with uh, Crunchyroll and Funimation. Sony rolling Funimation into Crunchyroll, but if you had digital purchases through Funimation... Those will be gone come April. And I saw the firestorm on social media. There are a lot of people who are unamused with that. I know if if media that I had purchased and then got bonus digital content for, if that bonus digital content suddenly went away, I would be annoyed. So I'm really hoping that uh, Amazon and Movies Anywhere do not mess that up. I mean, yeah, I still have the physical media, but every now and then you don't feel like digging through your shelf to pull out a disc. You, you know, just click on the Movies Anywhere app and watch one of the movies in digital form that you bought. Physical media rules. <laughs> anyway, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.